Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Colin Lamoth. And I'm Jess Betters. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means to people who share our favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is milestones versus experience and level creep versus story. But before we get into it, Jess. Colin. Have you seen the new Star Wars movie? The... Solo. Oh, Solo. No, I was about to say The Last Jedi. That came out a while ago. (laughs) Uh, No, I haven't seen Solo. Okay, all right. So some of our listeners will have hopefully seen the movie, and you should go and take a look at the movie. I admit that when I was initially uh, told about Solo being a a prequel, I thought, man, prequels. If you've seen the character alive in the movies that, you know, that follow afterwards, you know nothing bad can really happen to them in a prequel. So that sort of takes away some of, like, some of the, like, the coolness of the storyline. Basically, anybody who you haven't seen before is, like, up for grabs, but the main character, who's usually the prequel character, you're like, I'll see you later, so you're probably going to be alive. Um, To an extent, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. That's most of what i'm hearing i've heard a couple of people say that it's absolute hot garbage and i've heard like generally everybody else saying they were fairly pleased with it most of the reason i haven't gone to see it is because i find it really difficult to care Mm. care Um, about seeing the movie yes in the sense that i really like the Han Solo that we've had in, you know, the Star Wars canon so far. But one of the things that I really like about him is he is this mysterious roguish figure who sort of just comes out of nowhere and drops these little hints about where he came from. Like, you've got the whole Kessel Run thing. You've got the whole you dirty scoundrel with Lando thing. And, like, I love the mystery of having those pieces of his backstory completely unexplained, and I'm worried that going into, like, Star Wars, a, or Solo, a Star Wars story, or whatever they call those spin-off movies, I'm worried it will take some of the mystique away. Oh, it does. It, it answers a lot of those questions. But for somebody like me, I appreciate... Um, understanding of a backstory because I feel like it it better grounds a character. Uh, I like when they come in mysterious, but I like the opportunity to explore their backstory. And there's so many stories out there trying to like guess at what Han Solo's backstory is, or people that say that this is what it is. That I, I don't I don't mind them burying the hatchet on it, especially because the way that it was presented just kind of felt like a an edge of the empire game to me just like a like a campaign like a scenario it just felt like a straight up game scenario aha and i guess that leads me into a question before we get into our main topic how do you feel about backstories versus no backstory i feel like when you're talking about creating a character for a game in particular, but generally making a character for any creative endeavor, the person in charge, whether that is the writer of the novel or the 
screenplay or the character sheet or whatever it is should have at least some understanding about like this is what happened in my character's history Mm -hmm. but i feel like focusing too much on backstory can be very limiting i like being able to pull bits and pieces from my character's past but let it evolve as they go on. Because it's very easy for me to say, like, oh, yeah, no, of course my character knows how to pilot a boat. She was a pirate for a year. And then it's like, what? That's not in your backstory. And I'm like, yeah, but there are year-long holes that I can fill with whatever I want. So now she was a pirate. Booyah. And as long as it's not contradictory information and it makes sense, that shouldn't be an issue. So you're cool with people running with fairly bare bones backstories that kind of like give a general idea of what's going on. But you think that for someone who's writing the character, perhaps having a personal understanding of the backstory, even to a higher degree than what the other players and even the DM has, might be the best way to get into that character's mind. Absolutely. Mm hmm. But you don't necessarily need to make those backstory pieces aware to the GM unless they would come up to the storyline, in which case then you could discuss them with your storyteller, who should appropriately be open to expanding your character's, I guess, narrative weight by engaging those parts of the backstory when appropriate. Well, I'm always of a mind that you should always let your DM know what's going on with your character as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Because you never want to blindside your game master with something that they're not expecting and then that doesn't fit into the world or the story or what have you. Depending on what kind of game you're playing, of course. Well, yes, there there are systems out there that are based on like surprise each other, everyone. And I think that has a lot of gameplay value and a lot of uh a lot of factors that can surprise everybody at the table and that's really cool but if you're running a more traditional like plot-based character-driven game blindsiding your gm with something that you have known for a long time and is really important to you and you've incorporated it but doesn't actually hold weight or i I guess i should say hold water with what they have been planning hold water weight you know, sometimes you just got to hold on to that water weight. You just got to. Like a camel. It's going to be a long desert trek. <laughs> sometimes it is. And you've got to have all of that nice gooey water fat mm-hmm. for your body to just it, soak up. It is the summer. It is. Uh, it's, it's hot. Hot here in Indy. God, it's hot here in New York, too. Oh, geez. I, I thought it imagine. wasn't going to be quite so bad. And then, like, noon hit and the sun was coming down and I'm just getting baked. I'm like, oh, good. Now I know what pretzels feel like. Well, that's an important experience you can translate into your game. You're you're welcome. Thank you. The weather you? would say. Yes, the weather. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of the weather in New York. Oh, I see. Now... How much experience points did it take you to get to that point where you could parlay with the weather and speak for it? Oh, an insane amount. And speaking of experience points, excellent segue into our topic for today. (laughs) Well, it was a segue. I mean, it was a segue, uh, but I appreciate you giving it because I was already trying to think of how I was going to segue into it. I had like an idea, but you hit it before I did. I thought it was better to just go with it. (laughs) So like... 
I'm saying excellent segue because if I say excellent segue, then there's a chance that a listener's might be like, that was a that was a bad oh no, he said it was an excellent segue. Maybe there was something there was something there. But, Maybe it was good. Maybe but now I've pulled sheep. the curtain. I've pulled the curtain back on this little ruse. Now we know that it was a very average segue. You know what? I will take average. Average still seems generous, but I'm happy with it. Anyway, we've completely destroyed it now by talking about it. So let's just talk about... Experience points versus milestones. And then level creep versus story. And it's not really versus story. It's level creep in regards to story, how that fits into story. So which which do you want to tackle first? Do you want to tackle the experience points versus milestones? I feel like we should do that first, and then we can talk about the strengthening of a character through the game. I completely agree. And I think we have touched on this topic a couple of times before. And I think what it usually comes down to is this understanding that both you and I fall on the side of milestones more than experience points as like a numerical mathematical preset thing. What level is your um, your paladin right now? Uh, level nine. Level Presumably nine. approaching level 10, but... This is the thing with, like, experience points instead of milestones. We don't use experience points, so I actually have no idea how close we are narratively to leveling up. Oh, so which... you, you also use narratives. Or, you know, you use, my, uh, they use milestones in the game that you're in. Yes. Very uh, interesting. And a big part of that comes with the idea that, like, a lot of the stuff that we do is circumventing combat. Mm. So... Where experience points really shine is in these dungeon grindy, like, simulationist battle style role playing games where it's more about what and how you fight and how you defeat it, and that divvies up the points that that thing was worth, which well, does have a lot of inherent value for a lot of players. Oh, you know what? I would argue that. A good way that you can look at experience points, because ordinarily you think, well, did we destroy the monster? Then we get the experience points. But like a DM could also say, well, did you come up with an interesting solution to circumvent this combat? Then I'm going to give you the experience points for this encounter because you technically successfully navigated the encounter. You just didn't do it in a way that involved a bunch of rolling in combat. Um, One of the ways that I've seen it described is, did you win the encounter? Right. And that can be like, did you kill the enemies or did you convince them not to fight you or what have you? Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, a good way to go about this. You know, if you are going to use experience points, yeah, it's best to be flexible with the way that you hand them out. And the problem with saying experience points only comes for killing an enemy means that you've set up your game and so that destruction and murder is your only quantifiable way of getting better. And it, it sets the tone. And if that's the tone that you want for your game, if you want it to be a straight up murder fest, like a bash across the continent, just murdering as you go, that, that's that's your game. And if people enjoy it, cool. There's no problem with that. But if you're looking for um, perhaps some more dramatic depths, uh, some more um, emotional problem solving that comes from it, you don't necessarily want to say, but the only way you'll gain experience is if you kill the problem. So if you talk your problem out of being a problem, you're really just 
you're really just shutting out your ability to get better. Now, at this point, I will say it is worth mentioning that there are systems that handle experience differently. Of course. Um, in particular, the Powered by the Apocalypse family of games, you don't get experience by beating things or even by succeeding. You get experience when you fail a role. And in the new rebooted World of Darkness now Chronicles of Darkness, there are ways to achieve beats, and you need a certain amount of beats to become, um, to gain an experience point that you can then use. And some of these ways include, like, turning a failure into a dramatic failure, um, getting so injured that you fill so many health boxes up within the scene, um, accomplishing specific goals that you set for yourself, and then, of course, just, like, a beat for coming out and being a part of the game. So there are different ways to award experience um, that don't necessarily have to be like a binary, this amount of murder equals this amount of straight experience. Some systems don't give you any experience for murdering people at all and focus instead on giving experience when the situation is more of a compelling storytelling based one, as you've mentioned, uh, the apocalypse. Now, it occurs to me, in talking about this, we have not actually explained what experience points are, and we might have a listener or three out there who maybe they've only played games with milestones run by their DM, or maybe they just have never actually played and just like our pleasant voices. Oh, so, yeah, and, and also never played, like, MMOs or, or other video games. You know what, Jess, I'm going to hand this to you. Give us a primer. What is an experience point? So the long and the short of it is experience points are the numerical value for how much you have to do in order to get to the next skill point or the next level or the next ability modifier, what have you. And generally speaking, when you're talking about a game like Dungeons & Dragons, you can fight a giant rat. And the giant rat is worth... 30 experience points. And at level 1, you need 100 experience points to get to level 2. In most games like D&D, where it's built around scaling combat, uh, sometimes exponential, the points that you need in order to level up increase every time. So, like, it might take 100 to get to level 1 and 10,000 to get to level 6. <laughs> Fair. And the assumption is you are going to be fighting things that are worth more experience points. Some of that comes into the challenge rating, which is like, if you're level 6, it should take three people to beat this monster. Things like that. The CR system is something that I will want to dive into once I actually understand it better, because it's weird and i've been running DD games for like a decade and i still don't actually have a solid grasp of it challenge rating and difficulty in encounters is actually a really good topic we should write that down yeah i'll uh i'll take care of that while you talk about the other thing that you can use to level up i will but i also wanted to go in because you've explained kind of the experience point from a mechanical standpoint from a non-mechanical standpoint for those who are like well okay i get what experience points are they're a numerical value that allow you to like move up to this next level but what are experience points like what are they in the meta 
And if you have ever tried to practice for a new skill, uh, let's say you were trying to learn to play the cello and you start off sucking pretty bad at it. But the more that you practice, you start to suck a little less and a little less. If you imagine the idea between being a complete rank amateur at a skill and then being proficient in a skill as two tiers of, of credibility, the experience points are the amount of practice, the amount of raw skill and time that you put in between rank amateur and proficient. So they see, are, they're like the, like the codified bits is, is kind of how experience points have always been presented to me. I feel like that's something that a lot of players won't even necessarily think about. Like what are experience points in the meta? Yeah. Because it's so rarely addressed. Exactly. It's just sort of like, well, I need to do this amount of things in order to get past like fetch quests or whatever. But experience points are kind of supposed to be as they've almost always been presented is like they are... I'd say raw potential. They, uh, it sort of, it sort of represents time, practice, the things that you, have, the things that have happened to you, the things that you have learned, as kind of this weird, uh, like this weird meta potential, this weird currency that you then can use to level up or to reach the next rank or even learn or even gain a new skill entirely like you're taking all of that experience and spending the raw potential that was generated off of that to grow and develop to do some growing and developing now this is mitigated a lot in games like world of darkness where you don't have a leveling system you just increase the points in particular skills or attributes or merits or whatever you have and whatever you want to make better. Uh, so that can definitely be taken more as a sense of like, well, I shot my gun a lot, so my firearm skill goes up. Yeah, and a DM, and this is how I always run my games, if a player wants to upgrade a skill, the first question that I ask them is, well, how often have you used this skill within the scope of the story? If they're like, uh, I've never used it at all, but I think it would be useful. I'm like, well, I think you need to try to make use of this skill or at least be in situations where the skill would be really useful and it would be obvious in order to justify moving up. Because otherwise it's just, it's sort of like your, your character goes to sleep and wakes up and, oh my God, I know how to do Kung Fu. And if that's like a, if that's, if that's something that's in your game, then cool. That's definitely a way they, they can do it. And everybody has a right to run their games exactly how they want. Um... But I believe that when you want to upgrade a character in a game in which you're upgrading their stats or their skill levels rather than like a, a full level upgrade that comes from like a D&D like system, that in the narrative, you want there to be at least some explanation as to why they are moving forward. Definitely. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, how I, that's how I feel about it anyways. And that can also be mitigated with something like, oh, well, this other character has this skill that I would like to learn. In the downtime, they taught me some of it. Exactly. And that is a really good use of downtime in a game. And that, also, another subject we should write down, the use of downtime between, between scenarios. And while Jess is writing that up, let's talk about milestones for a moment. So, milestones from a complete outside, like the topmost 
perspective. A milestone is what you come across to show where you are in, let's say, like a trail or a journey. A milestone is like a marker. It lets you know how far you've come or sometimes how far you have to go. Sometimes it just marks the mile, a milestone, a stone at every mile. I was going to make a joke about literal real world milestones, and then you went and completely unironically defined it. So now I can't make a joke other than calling attention to the fact that you took away my joke potential. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to make that a win on me. I'm going to make that a win. Hmm. (laughs) You'll just have to get me back later on. I'll find a way. You'll find a way. You always find a way. But in terms of gameplay, how does a milestone translate? So a milestone is more of a narrative mechanic than it is uh, an experience mechanic. Milestones serve as markers in a character's journey or even a plot's journey to show how far you've come and how far you may need to go. So milestones usually are given during times of great change, of development. Your character has finally completed, uh, has finally gotten vengeance for the death of their entire family. They have finally slain the one-armed man with the eyes that burn like silver. And that that's a huge moment for that character. And you're like, you know what? Your character, after completing this, you can feel the catharsis of finally getting that closure. Level up. And it's not necessarily, oh, you've done all of this experience. The idea is that you have done so much in pursuit of this milestone that finally at this point, at the completion of this milestone, at this point in the storyline, bam, your experience comes into play and you move forward a new person. It's like a like a new development piece in at least systems where there are like level ups like D&D, in which, in which milestones are... I guess more of a, uh, I guess more of a thing in World of Darkness, the experience points that like move up skills, you can award them at milestones, and in fact, it is encouraged that you already do award them at milestones. In in systems like D anD D, where it's more got like a buy encounter experience point, the milestone comes into play when you say, "All right, I want everyone to be leveling up at the same rate." And this is where they should be leveling up when they hit this part of the storyline or when this character hits this part of the storyline. And then we focus on another character's milestone. Exactly. Milestones are wonderful for helping keep a party balanced as opposed to like the actual experience point divvying in a game like D&D where sometimes depending on who gets the killing blow and how your D&D or how your DM runs things you might have one character that out levels everybody by two or three levels mm-hmm. yep and that's not an uncommon phenomenon and sometimes it works for groups but other times i've been in groups like that where it just sort of takes away a lot of fun because the, the person that's two to three levels ahead really just wipes the floor with encounters or if you've got yeah, an incredibly it- high leveled uh character the dm needs to create challenges for that character, but the challenges that that character would find challenging would absolutely demolish the rest of the party. I have heard stories about a D&D group that basically ran things like second edition, like AD&D by the book. So every encounter has prescribed experience points and they are divvied out to the players based on who gets 
final blows. So the other thing that I have to preface this with is if your character died, you were welcome to come back with a new character, but that character started out as level one. And in this party, they had two people at level 15, three people at level nine, and then a friend of mine who was telling me the story about like entering this game as a level one cleric, where you've got characters that are eight to 14 levels above you. And which I'm, meant they're practically they, gods at that point. Comparatively, absolutely. Comparatively, of course. And it's the sort of thing where, like, no matter what this player of this level one character did, they could never actually manage to get the killing blow on something because either it was leveled to their point and other characters would just jump on it and destroy it in one hit. Or it was leveled in such a way as to be completely impossible for them to damage in the first place. Which meant, after like four or five sessions of this, another character in the party had leveled up again before this level one character had made it to level two. That's that's really rough, because you can kind of find yourself in a position where you're shut out from getting anything meaningful done in the in the yeah. scope of the story and that that's really frustrating it completely annihilates party balance mm -hmm. which i think is a particularly important thing when you're talking about a fantasy fight em up role-playing game Ooh, you want to make sure that everybody has something to do absolutely and the use of milestones really can help keep things on an even keel. Even if you are saying, well, I want character prescribed milestones where you will level up once your character is at this milestone, you can say, all right, we're hitting this character's milestone first and then we switch gears and we'll hit this person's milestone, this person's milestone, and this person's milestone before we cycle back around to the main character again. You kind of drive the train on that. Yeah. But going with plot-based milestones where it's like, all right, we made it through this dungeon. Everybody level up. Mm -hmm. All right, we killed the evil queen. Everybody level up. It makes it so that no matter what, you are keeping your players in such a state that no one ever feels like they are falling behind. And we just touched on it by talking about the poor level one character and like the nine, level nines and like level, level 15 characters. But... That kind of brings us around to our other point, which is level creep versus story, or the level creep in a story. But Jess, have you ever had this situation where- A little bit. Where like you've ever either been in a game or been running a game in which the characters were so powerful so quick that they kind of leveled out of the challenge rating or the game that you were setting at the time that it happened. Uh, not so much to that extent that, like, it ended up breaking the game, but I have experienced it where we definitely had to be slowed down in the way that we were leveling. Otherwise, it would have been a little bit buck wild. Uh, and this was in the Pathfinder game that I've been playing for about three years now. Early on, we started at, I think it was level three. Hmm. And... Within a couple of months, we had jumped up levels like two or three times. And our G our GM realized very quickly, like, 
if I keep giving levels at this rate, we are going to have the sort of situation where you guys are supposed to be dealing with this still fairly simple problem, but I'll have to be throwing god monsters and these horrifying behemoths at you in order to give you a challenge. Either that, or you're going to be fighting literal armies. Right. I mean, and even then, if you think about the way that a lot of D&D spells and, like, skills kind of equip themselves, some things that are challenges at, like, level one, trying to convince people of things, trying to find out information, become not problems anymore when you have things like mind control and telepathy and, like, all of these other stuff that you just allow you to say, no, no, this isn't a problem. I hand wave my way through it. Not even that necessarily, but the way that D&D skills work, and this goes for Pathfinder and D&D up to, I think 4th edition got rid of it, but 3.5 still has it, and 5th definitely doesn't work this way anymore. It used to be, depending on your intelligence score, you would get a certain number of ranks to put into each skill. So in our Pathfinder game, our ranger, I don't want to say he min-maxes, but he min-maxes. Okay, so, that I mean, like, that's fine. That That's a valid way to go about your characters if you want oh, it, to. it absolutely is, and it makes him an invaluable member of the party when it comes to the, like, four things that he's very good at. <laughs> but it also means that anytime we need to get a perception roll, it's basically just like, all right, where's the ranger? He's going to find it because he's got 17 ranks in this skill, which means the lowest he can ever roll is an 18. Right. Yeah, no, so it it definitely can work uh, exactly that. And like, depending on where you put the DC, sometimes the DCs stop mattering when you have so many skills within, you know, skill ranks within a certain skill. And I feel like, Depending on, uh, you know, with the, with the idea of level creep in a, like in a challenge, being able to essentially level out of certain things being uh, a problem for you anymore, it changes the nature of the story that the DM is running. The idea behind kind of like D&D and like the level sequentialing game is that you are basically facing greater and greater challenges as time goes on. The monsters, right. like you... When you are like, when you're level like six or seven, you're no longer dealing with little cobalt crowds anymore. Or if you are, you wipe the floor with them and you just, you call it a day. It's not a problem. Well, I mean, by the time my paladin was level seven, it was statistically impossible for a kobold or a goblin to penetrate her armor on anything less than a critical hit. Because a critical hit is supposed to always hit. Right, exactly. And even if they did hit... (laughs) <laughs> you're paladin you'd probably be fine oh yeah no i mean it's like oh you do 1d4 damage to me congratulations you get to double that because you found the chink in my armor i have 68 hit points and you did six and every turn i get to strike twice yeah and it's just like there comes to be a point where you have to balance encounters in such a way as to be ever increasing in their potency which means like if you ever have players who want to go back and do the old thing that they did you're going to have to either admit that like guys this is absolutely beneath you there's no reason to go into the goblin encampment you're level nine or it becomes the sort of thing where it's like all right i guess the goblins have a couple of pet hippogriffs that they let get 
enchanted by a wizard, so now they're on fire. <laughs> it's like, you are going to either completely negate the sense of the world, or you're going to let your players become incredibly overpowered based on what they want to do. Yeah, just and, just run ramshackle over everything that you put down. I mean, especially if you consider um, the levels of, like, everybody who doesn't have adventuring classes. You've got monsters, and then you've got, like, normal people. And, like, by the time you reach, like, level four, you are never going to be challenged by a person who isn't an adventurer again. Right. Well, I mean, like, going back to the challenge rating thing for a moment, yeah. um, a normal person has a challenge rating of, like, one half, which means it should take two, like, non-player-classed characters, like, two random peasants off the street to challenge one level one character. If you're in a party with five level ten characters, you can essentially kick your way through a village, and no one will actually be able to hurt you, except for maybe, like, Old Joe, who's got two ranks in blacksmith, and the three town guards who have one rank in warrior, which isn't even actually a player class, it's just an NPC fighter class. It's like, if your players wanna be dicks, mechanically, there's no way to stop them. It's true. Unless you come up with some sort of contrived methodology to make it happen. And really, these are problems that come into play more in, like, I'd say the D and D esque oh, games. Yeah. Then these like, are not problems that you'll have playing something like World of Darkness, right? Exactly. Nine times out of ten, because everybody just has a, a variable number of skills and attributes. So, like theoretically, anybody could be a secret badass. Now that said, in World of Darkness, there is one thing that kind of simulates level creep. And that's the fact that there are different playbooks, or splats, as we sometimes like to call them. Splat. And some of them are inherently far more powerful than others. Oh, very true. Like, you don't want to go up against a werewolf if you're a mortal without, like, crazy weaponry. Maybe just a bunch of silver. <clears throat> yeah, but, I mean, who carries around silver-edged blades or bullets or what have you? I mean, not unless you're hunting werewolves, probably. Exactly. Or are a silver dealer. I guess, yes. Silver merchants would have silver. But would they have silver weapons, or are you just trying to shove, like, ah, I got this pocket watch, eat it. I. You know what, that works. Like Any silver in a storm, buddy. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. I, the werewolf's coming down to coming down to eat you, and you throw like five of your silver watches down its throat. I guarantee you, it's gonna stop trying to eat you for a moment. It's got a bunch of burning like hunks of like terrible inside its throat. That gives you time. Burning hunks of terrible. Burning I like that. Yeah, I, I'm gonna use that in my game because I'm very descriptive. I I am good DM. Of course. <laughs> so. In your opinion, Jess, you, you love to use milestones when you play your D&D games. You prefer yes. them. How do you decide when a milestone has been hit personally 
as a, as a storyteller, when does it feel like a mile? Like I know you, you know, there are many different milestones, but in mm-hmm. general, if you're generally looking for a milestone, what do you look for? So I basically have two different methods of going through it, and it depends on what kind of game I'm running. If I know I'm going to have the same people showing up session after session, then the milestones come in this more story-based, like, aha, you have collectively defeated this mini-boss, and now you will level up to four. I was hoping you were going to give it a silly name. You always give things silly names. You know... Sometimes I'm just not on my proper form for giving things silly names, Colin. I'm disappointed, and so are our listeners. Or maybe I knew you were expecting a silly name, so I didn't give you one so that I could win this conversation. Touché. Touché. No, I just didn't... I just didn't think of one. (laughs) Uh, But the other way that I go about it, and this is more in my quote-unquote professional games that I've been running where it's like I will have different people coming in each session is well different people coming in for each session which I try to make a one-shot each time so essentially what I've done is I start each character at level three because that's where the interesting stuff happens in D&D 5 and if you play through one adventure and bring your character back congratulations they're level four now then you have to play through two adventures and bring your character back. Congratulations, they're level five, so on and so forth. So that new players who get through one session and come back are never too far behind, but it rewards people who want to see progression for their character. And that's not so much plot milestones as it is character experiential milestones. And obviously the number... milestones. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, And I would say the number gets higher each time. So, like, if you want to get to level 10, that's not just going to be get through, you know, six or seven sessions. That's like you have to bring them back over and over and over again because that's a much bigger deal. And there might still be new players coming in alongside you. And if our listeners... We're looking to gain a participation milestone on following our podcast. How would they do that, Jess? Oh, well, you could send us an email at dodecapodcast at gmail.com or uh, follow us on Instagram or Tumblr or Facebook and send us a message there if you want to. And all of those are dodecapodcast. That's Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook. Or, if you want to be really special, you can find us on Twitter, which is the weird one, at Podcast Dodeca. We don't tweet a lot, but I do always look at the mentions and the DMs and stuff, so if you want to hit us up, that's a good place to do it. Absolutely. And of course, thanks so much for coming out and listening. From all of us at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.